what is going on in a Maryland city that is causing it to have the second highest murder rate in the country with 50 murders per 100,000 people. Whoa. Though it's a close second to St. Louis, Missouri, at least St. Louis has showed a steady decline in crimes in the last few years, but not Baltimore. We're going to take a look at a record month in February, as well as discuss a horrific case from the crime-ridden past of the city. And for me, I'm just going to give you a little teaser. I want you to remember this. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. From time to time, during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. we miss that okay welcome back to the how did we miss that podcast i'm christine and i'm john we've got some good ones for you we didn't team up this time no we're going it was our super separate fun ways. last time though to it team was up. it was fun to be on your team it was fun you know what's crazy about baltimore right outside the nation's capital all those areas right around there are kind of crummy yeah. You know, and it's really kind of sad. Stuck in one area one time. Yeah, I wasn't mean, the nicest. I think Virginia is kind of nice, but the surrounding areas of our nation's capital, gross, kind of sad. Yeah. Well, it's only February, and there have already been twenty-seven murders in Baltimore, and 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 that is one more than this time last year. Oh my God. Yeah. Clearly, the murders are not following COVID protocol at all. No. No. They're still out there murdering. Crime rates are... Uh, Maybe they're wearing a mask. I don't know. The crime rates are overall down because of COVID. People right. aren't... Even criminals are staying home, but I guess not there. Not in Baltimore. Even though the police have solved some of the cases, there are still many that are left open. During this month alone, there were 49 non-fatal shootings, an increase of nine at this time in 2020. So... I mean, things aren't slowing down. Since September of last year, WMAR2 News has decided to track daily murders and shootings, which is crazy. So tonight, I want to tell you about the murders that have been committed in February of 2021. And I'll tell you at the end why I only decided to do the murders. So first, we're going to kind of start with today, February 25th. There were already two murders today. There was two today? There was two What are the today odds? Today. That, wow. that they've recorded thus far. The day's not even over yet. So how many did you say there's been so far this year? 27 or so something So 49 like non-fatal shootings and then a total of, yeah, I mean, it would be 29 in this month. Jesus. In just February. In just February. That's, just February. That's more than one a day. That's insane. In Say, well, there was yeah. two today, like I just told you. Yeah. One at 12.05 a.m. and then another one at 11 a.m. this morning. Yeah. And then, like I said, the day's not over yet. Yeah. Wow. So insane. I'm just thinking of the averages. That's insane. Insane. So then on February 23rd at 9.23 p.m. at approximately, oh, I'm sorry, I already said that, 9.23 p.m. 
Officers were dispatched to an apartment in the 500 block of Dolphin Street to investigate a reported disturbance. Officers arrived at the location and observed an unresponsive 57-year-old female suffering from stab wounds. Medical personnel were summoned and pronounced the victim dead at the scene. Officers placed an adult male at the scene into custody as a person of interest. Still has not been solved. February 21st at 1253 p.m., a 33-year-old man was shot in the 2800 block of Harlem Avenue. The victim was taken to an area hospital where he later died. The victim was identified as 33-year-old Melvin Hairston. And February 18th, 1217 p.m., an unidentified male was found in the 5100 block of Queensbury Avenue, suffering from gunshot wounds. He was pronounced dead at the scene by medical personnel. The victim was 40-year-old Justin Bucalo. February, tw- I'm sorry, February 27th, excuse me, 17th, <laughs> 8.09 p.m. Officers responded to the 2300 block of Utah Street for a shooting. Upon arrival, officers located a 37-year-old male who was suffering from a gunshot wound to his back. The victim was, victim was transported to an area hospital where he later died. February 15th, 9.24 a.m. This is really sad. And it's actually a big story right now, but I didn't do it because it's so early. They don't have a lot of information on it. But a 16-year-old boy was killed after being shot in the head in Northeast Baltimore. Police say the shooting took place at an apartment in the 4400 block of Moravia Road. 16. Do they have any suspects for these? Um, Are they just like random? Are they gang shootings or what? This is crazy there's so many shootings it's insane so i don't know like i I didn't i didn't add the shootings in here because if i did this would have been insane i'll tell you the numbers at the end here but one of them was like a a woman was walking into a store and got shot in the foot like (laughs) she was just going into a store she wasn't part of a gang she wasn't a target of any kind Hmm. insane crazy on february 13th just after 11 a.m a man was shot in the back um, he was taken to shock trauma where he later died. Police are investigating. Victim has been identified as 56-year-old Seymour Hall. These are a lot of like older people. Yeah, that's why I'm wondering if they're just randomized, like some somebody's just yeah. going on a shooting spree or I if uh, yeah. it's uh, stray bullets or what. You know, yeah, it's crazy. February 12th, 1259 a.m., a shot spotter. So they have a thing called shot spotter. Oh, yeah. I know what that is. Yeah. Do you want to tell the listeners? I don't know what it is. Would you like to tell them? Oh, I will. Yeah. I thought this was just a Baltimore thing. I've never even heard of it. Boston has it, too, and I'm sure some other big cities do. It's not the most accurate because it's outside, right? So they put them up on all the streetlights and um, stoplights or whatever all around the city. And it basically creates like a map Mm-hmm. And if a gunshot sound goes off, it can pinpoint where it went off. Oh, wow. So police can respond if nobody saw anything, right? So there's all kinds of shooter detection technology out there. And the biggest flaw with all of them is false positives, obviously. So if a right. car backfires or something falls or whatever, it can be mistaken for a gunshot. Indoor technology takes a muzzle flash and the sound, and they're way more accurate. But outside, you can't really do that. Right. So they just rely on the sound, but it does help. I mean, you know, you'll see a report of, oh, gunshot went off on 6th and 10th Street or whatever. And in the general area, they usually find shell casings or whatever. So it's pretty, it works pretty well, but Hmm. it does have its flaws. Well, it's pretty cool. I didn't even know that was a thing. That's awesome. 
Well, anyway, this shot spotter alert came out from the 1900 block of Edmondson Avenue. Responding officers found 52-year-old Guy Thomas dead on scene from apparent gunshot wounds. They have no potential suspects or a motive at all in this case. Again on February 12th, just nine minutes earlier, at 12.50 a.m., officers were called to the 1400 block of Filbert Street for an unresponsive person. Upon arrival, they found a man suffering from fatal gunshot wounds. No potential suspects or motive were released in this case either. The victim has been identified as 28-year-old Javon Montgomery. Nine minutes apart. Oh, excuse me. That was a busy night. Just 50 minutes earlier from that, at 12.01 a.m., 25-year-old man was found shot in the 100 block of Baltic Avenue. He later died at the hospital. Again, no potential suspects or motive. The victim was identified as 25-year-old Kamari Williams. The part I don't get here is the no motive. Like, this wasn't a drug deal gone bad or whatever. Yeah. That's what. And these are all completely different places, too. So they're not, like, all right, together. Right. Like, 90% of the shootings I read about or hear about in Boston are, like, a, you know, a drug deal or something that went down and somebody got stabbed or shot in that process. But the fact that they have zero information on these, something weird's going on there. Yeah. So if you're keeping track and, and keeping score here, that was three within one hour. Yeah. On February 12th. I mean, the cops are clearly a little overworked <sighs> here, I guess. Yeah. Although we know from the uh, Adnan case mm-hmm. that Baltimore's PD is a little, little iffy mm. when it comes to... Uh, maybe not anymore, if we're uh, lucky. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Hopefully they reformed a little, but... Well, on February 10th at 10.20 a.m., Marcus Bentley, 40 year, years old, was shot in the 3400 block of East Lombard Street. He later died at the hospital. February 8th, 4.04 a.m., a man was shot in the 300 block of Lindhurst Avenue. He later died in the hospital. February 2nd, so we're getting closer to the beginning here, 4.47 p.m., a 25-year-old man was shot in the 5200 block of Park Heights Avenue. He was taken to an area hospital where he shortly died after. And then on February 1st, at 9.41 p.m., a man was shot and killed in the 3600 block of Shelby Avenue. That is 13 murders in one month that are not even solved, have no motive whatsoever. Okay, 29 since the beginning of the year. Insane. We still have four days left in this month. Now, had I included the gunshot wounds, remember I told you if I had included those for February, right. the list would have been 38 incidents. Inci- incidents? Incidences? Incidents. Incidents. I was right incidents, the first time. Yes. <laughs> 38 just for February and just February 24th. Yeah, that's crazy. That's insane. What's all going on gunshot, there? And they're all gunshot wounds. It's not stabbings. It's not, you know, automobile accidents. It's only gunshots and murders. Yeah, and I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna look this up so I don't sound <laughs> stupid, but I'm pretty certain Maryland has some pretty strict gun laws. So they're, for all the gun law people out there, right. it ain't really working, you know? So in doing this research about Baltimore, I wondered what were like famous crimes for the area? Had I heard any of them? Of course, there's Heyman Lee, which we just mentioned in the Adnan Syed case. But were there any others that were brutal, even for this like seemingly crazy place? And that's when I came across the disturbing case of Mark Castillo. So I'm going to tell you about him right now. Let's do it. 
Prior to March 29th of 2008, Mark and his wife Amy had been best friends. Just like you and me. Yeah. Hmm. Best buds. Amy had said that Mark had swept her off her feet and they often called each other sexy thing. Hey, sexy thing. (laughs) But gradually over about a five-year period, that man was replaced by a stranger who spent entire nights at Baltimore strip clubs, blew thousands of dollars in wild shopping sprees, and accused her of being self-righteous and manipulative. He even went as far as describing himself as a wolf wolf in sheep's clothing to family and friends. Mm. So something, you know, is not right with Mr. Castillo. That's a red flag. I forgot. I just realized... I forgot my sources. Oh, for no. these. I just was so, so excited, excited yeah. to talk about it. Yeah. So um, CBSnews.com, the WMAR2 news webpage is where I got all these crime mm-hmm. reportings. And then this article that I'm getting all this information from is from the Baltimore Sun from October 25th of 2009. And I just want to say I'm, I'm giving you snippets of that article. There was tons in it. So if you want to know more, definitely go check that one out. So, Mark Anthony Casillo was born the third of five children. So, that's smack dab in the middle. Yeah. Middle child, for sure. Yep. He was raised in East Los Angeles by his mother, and he once told a psychologist that his mother disciplined him more than his other siblings, which I think we all kind of feel that way sometimes. After high school, Mark enlisted in the Air Force and was stationed in Missouri. He said he was discharged honorably in the third year of a four-year tour because of problems dealing with authority. It must have been really bad for them to discharge him early. Yeah. I I can't imagine the Air Force just being like, ah, you're good. Go home. I don't know. The Air Force is pretty strict out of all the uh, branches. What I'm saying is I don't think it's just for like a minor offense. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. There had to have been. Yeah. Yeah. There's more to that story. He was diagnosed by a military counselor as having narcissistic personality disorder. Oh, don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> Mark's first marriage lasted two years before his wife filed for divorce. They have one daughter together. He dated a lot, but had no substantive. Substantive? What kind of a word is that? Every time you got to get it in there. Are you, I think you're typing these mistakes just to. I'm not typing them. Live I'm up just. To your reputation. I think it's because I know what I wrote that I'm trying to say it while I'm reading it yeah. and it's coming out as crazy gibberish you might invent a new word what did you say substantive substantive yeah i like it um i meant to say substantial okay but it came out as substantive what's after that word relationships oh yeah that's <laughs> not it i'm not sure where it came substantive from substantive relationships yes i like it well anyway <laughs> he did not have any substantial relationships or substantive or substantive neither one until he met amy in the summer of 1997 at a volleyball game in charleston His job had him traveling around the country. And I don't know what this meant. So I kind of just kept it out of my article. It said he was doing trampoline shows. Oh. So I don't know if he was selling trampolines. Like, at you know, you get the RV show where you get to go see all the different models or whatever. Yeah. Or if he was like a, like a performer on the trampoline. I think we need to look into this because, first of all, I'm in the events industry. There is no trampoline show specific that's... (laughs) All different forms of trampoline. Well, this is also 1997. I know. He so. may be a trampoline salesman that goes to like the county fair or something. Right. But that wouldn't be a trampoline show. I'm thinking he's a performer. He's a professional jumper. It's pretty cool. It is cool. Well, anyway. I didn't even know that was a job. I know. So this job had him traveling around the country and he stopped in South Carolina on his way to a job in Minnesota, which he decided he was going to give up because he wanted to be with Amy. 
They were engaged within six months and married within eight on February 7th of 1998. Oh, boy. That's fast. Yeah, quite quite quick. Yeah. Amy got a job as a pediatrician with Kaiser Permanente and in 1999 returned with Mark to the Washington suburbs. Mark supplemented gymnastics teaching with computer jobs. So maybe he did do actual. Yeah, he was a jumper, yeah. He must have been a, a trampoline performer. Amy became pregnant with our first child, Anthony, in 2001. It was a very welcome surprise for the couple. They found out about the pregnancy as they were planning a scuba diving trip to New Guinea as a sort of belated honeymoon. So I guess that kind of put a damper on that. Yeah. After Anthony, Amy had two other children, each two years apart in age, though she did actually have some miscarriages in between. Because of that, though, she was on bed rest for five months at a time when she was pregnant. And then when she wasn't on bed rest, she was working 11 hour days at the hospital or a doctor's office at this point. Yeah. So that meant that Mark had to take on the responsibility within the home. And she said that for him, that was like a really big stressor. I mean, you've got two young children. Yeah. It's tough, man. Right. And Mark said that he thought Amy was not supportive of how hard he tried to keep the household together. Oh, poor Mark. I know. It's sad. His personality began to change when she was pregnant with their second child, Austin, in 2003. He started spending money like crazy, quit going to church, and talked about dying a lot. Amy thought maybe he was bipolar, shifting between manic highs and depressed lows, as you know bipolar people do. Sometimes they're like super happy and excited. Other times they're way, way down. There's not really a good middle ground Yeah. when you're really suffering from mm-hmm. bipolar. She actually remembers that she printed an article on the disorder for him and he completely rejected the idea that that was what he was dealing with. Their friends even tried to help Amy and did like an intervention for him, but it went nowhere. He just refused to see that his behavior was abnormal. Mark began claiming that he no longer needed sleep, which I'm sorry, that sounds pretty manic to me. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody needs sleep, even if you're nuts. I know. (laughs) It should be a (laughs) t-shirt. Everybody needs sleep, even if you're nuts. Yeah, it's a PSA, man. Especially when you're nuts. Especially when you're nuts. You're dang right you do, yeah. (laughs) I mean, we just watched The Shining. Definitely need sleep. Yeah, lack of sleep makes you more nuts. Right. Put that on a shirt. There you go. Yeah. Hashtag. (laughs) Yeah. So because he wasn't sleeping, he would stay out all night at the strip clubs, like I told you. He'd come home at 5 a.m. on the days when he was supposed to watch the kids. Amy began to worry that he would harm the children through negligence or purposely if he wasn't thinking right, if he was not there. By mid-2006, when Athena, their third child, was born, she was eight months old, actually, Amy said she asked Mark to leave, thinking that it might be a wake-up call for him that he needed to snap out of it, or at least maybe he would get some help. Instead, he drove around the eastern half of the country for weeks, staying with various people until he finally returned to Virginia, where they kind of had like a quick reuniting. But that didn't last very long. On June 29th of 2006, Mark called Amy saying he was in room 208 at the Days Inn in Ruther Glen, Virginia, and that he was going to kill himself. Hmm. Yeah, he had bought some rat poison at Home Depot. And that was going to do it, I guess. So Amy called the police and the hotel front desk. She put the baby in the car and headed north toward where he was. At that point, Mark was taken into custody and committed to a mental health center in Fredericksburg, Virginia. But he was released after six days. So I'm sure. Sounds about right. Sure, not much help 
was going on there. Nope, that's uh, par for the course for these places. Yeah. On July 19th, Amy filed a complaint and emergency motion for sole custody of the children, but the courts would never see him as a danger. There was like no proof of that, I guess. She was so worried that she would sometimes hide the children with family friends so that he couldn't get to them. Mark became extremely bitter toward her, certain that she was running a campaign to make others think he was crazy. This sounds like a Lifetime movie. This has all the makings for a good Lifetime movie. Yeah. So he decided he was going to get the jump on her and he filed for divorce. Mm, Smart. Yes. So after she filed the custody motions, at this point, they're just separated. Yeah. He decides he's going to go file for divorce. And that's when everything just like heated up and got crazy. Friends and family said they were both run ragged. They were all just crazy. Amy would sometimes sleep under her desk at work. And she was so worried that she was also losing it. Because it's just really heated and ugly. Yeah. At Christmas time in 2006, the Castillos filed for protective orders against one another. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. This year I got you a restraining order. Amy wrote a handwritten plea saying that he would never actually hurt the children. But, quote, did tell me that the worst thing he would do to me would be to kill the children and not me so I could live without them. Oh, that's that's a nasty. That's mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was that on March 29th, a Saturday, that Mark showed up at his former home to visit with his children. Mark and Amy had been separated now for two years. And though they had scheduled visitations, the divorce had been really messy. Amy described him as being clean shaven and wearing a nice shirt and looking better than he had in a long time. He put his children, Anthony, who's now six, Austin, four, and Athena, two, into the family minivan and made his way north to the Maryland Science Center, where the family spent the day enjoying the exhibits. Now, instead of taking them home like he was supposed to, they drove to a Camden Yards Marriott to spend the night. They called room service for dinner, and then Mark set the two boys up with a video game while he planned to give Athena a bath. Everything seemed totally normal. Yeah, that's parenting 101 right there. Until it wasn't. Yeah. But wait, there's more. Right. So for those of you that are a little squeamish, you might want to skip ahead. How long do you think? Five minutes? Ten minutes? I'm thinking like 20 seconds. Oh, just 20 seconds. Yeah. It's not going to take me very long. I'm going to go to the other room because I get a little squeamish. You have to stay here. Okay. Unfortunately. Shucks. So if you want to skip ahead, go about... Maybe just put the 30 second, you know, the little 30 second arrow you got there. Turn my headphones down. Right about... Now. Okay, go. Okay. So, using a stopwatch, he held Athena's tiny body underwater for a full 10 minutes. He then repeated the same for both of the boys. That's not squeamish level. That's just like anger level, but... It's awful. It is awful. It's awful. Yeah. I was expecting something gory, but... Well, I just don't, I don't like to talk about children. It makes me really sad. I know. That's, that's awful. It's really triggering for some people, so... That takes a really, like, evil person to it even was, think to do that. He had a flipping stopwatch. Yeah, he. this is premeditated. Absolutely 100%. premeditated. Insane. So after this, he tried to kill himself by taking over-the-counter pain relievers. And when that didn't work, he tried with a knife. By this time, it was Sunday morning. When he and the children failed to return at the court-appointed time, Amy got worried and decided to call the police twice but was told that there was absolutely nothing they could do and to call back if they still hadn't shown up by Monday. 
but she wouldn't have to wait that long. By Sunday afternoon, an officer had come to the door to tell her that she needed to come with them because they had, quote, found everyone. Amy was relieved and even had a moment of ha-ha when she realized this would be a great ammunition during their court proceedings because he kept the kids out all night. Oh, yeah. So she was like, mm, I'm going to get you. Yeah. Yeah. They um, actually brought her and a friend. She decided to take a friend with her. She was worried that Mark would be livid at this point because she called the police. So she brought a friend with her and they took her into the room and she sat there and even thought, oh my gosh, the kids are going to tear this room apart when they get here because they're probably just crazy. But hours later, she would realize that her family would never return, that they were found dead. Mark confessed to the killings, but then he pleaded insanity only to turn around and say he was actually perfectly healthy. He fought the divorce he asked for and even confused his attorneys to the point where they quit. Wow. So yeah. he failed at killing himself. Yeah. Jeez. He went along like this until eventually a judge sentenced him to three consecutive life sentences in a mental health correctional facility where he hopefully rots to this day. Hopefully somebody else drowns him. That would be great. That's crazy. It's yeah. funny. Why didn't he try to kill himself that way? He knows it works. He should have just like tried to. Maybe he didn't. Well, I mean. That's hard to do, I guess. Narcissists. True. I'm not sure they truly want to kill themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was an interesting one from 2009. So not that long ago. Not sure. How did we miss that? How we missed that one. Baltimore. What is up? Don't go to Baltimore. Get it together. Yeah. Scary. All right. What do you have for us this week? Well, I have something a little different. There are a few conspiracy theories around this situation, but it's mostly because I watched it on TV and (laughs) it's scary, man. And most of what went on with what I'm about to tell you, I missed. Granted, I was only seven years old at the time, but I heard about this in school, but never heard about what I learned Hmm. in the miniseries titled Chernobyl which is on HBO nice. Max, if you have it. It's a five-part miniseries. Phenomenal. Absolutely well done. And as I'm watching it, I'm like, this is a dramatization. How much of this is real, right? I was just going to ask that question. So I get onto Google, and it's been fact-checked like crazy. Of course, there were a few artistic liberties, and they even address one in the end credits. Mm. But the overwhelming consensus online is that it's 100% accurate. Very nice. So if any of you out there have seen it, you you know how scary this is, that that's accurate, that what they show you and what went on and how this happened. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I recommend you do. It's pretty haunting. So I'm going to confess something to you. Yeah. I know of it and I know briefly what happened, mm-hmm. but I really know nothing about this. I don't even, I mean, I've seen the crazy pictures of like what still remains. Because I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's pretty much what I knew about it as well. Other than I, like other I than knew that, what happened. Yeah, but I didn't know the details of it. To be honest, it kind of like I've kind of related it to like a Pompeii situation. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Where it was like such a quick thing. I don't know. But I could be I'm I don't know anything about it. So I'm really excited to hear. So my sources are the HBO miniseries, um, which is from 2019, I believe. And an article from a, a website called powertechnology.com. Okay. And I also looked at another one called The Reactor Room, but I didn't get much info from that one. So here's just a little history since you don't know. 
you remember in the beginning I said one, two, three, four, five? Mm-hmm. Wanted you to remember that? At one twenty-three a.m. and 45 seconds. Weird. What is the odds of that, right? That's weird. On April 26th, 1986, Reactor 4 at the Chernobyl nuclear... Nuclear, I just said. See, now I'm doing See, it. See, people do nuclear. that all the time, though. I knew I was going to do People that, too. People say nuclear it's, and nuclear. Like, it's... It's funny. As I was writing this today, I'm like, this is how you spell it. And then as I'm looking at it, I'm like, don't say nuclear, don't say nuclear. And I said it. Of course I know that's not what it is. It's yeah. the nuclear plant. And how many times... What's the over-under of me saying nuclear during this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Reactor 4 at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant exploded during a safety test of all things. Weird. So they had tried to do four of these safety tests. This was the fourth one. They all failed. Something caused a 10-hour delay during this one. And so an unprepared crew who had never tried it before had to do it. The head honcho guy comes in and he says, he tells the Energy Administration and Gorbachev and everybody else, I will go oversee this myself. I will go and supervise it and make it happen. Well, it turns out what I learned from the from the document, I'll call it a documentary because it's pretty accurate, was that because of him and trying to like make this happen and be successful, he led the men who already didn't know what to do through this exercise, which caused the catastrophe. So they basically caused it themselves. Okay. But what they were supposed to do was take the power down I'm just going to get all science-y for, for you here. Okay. The way all this reactor works and whatever is it's cooled by water and there's a turbine, and this is a very right. blue sky paraphrase. <clears throat> but in order to do the safety test, you have to take the power all the way down, almost all the way down. And their thought was that if it completely loses power, there'll be enough reserve power in the turbine to feed the reactor to keep it going while they restored power. Okay. Well, while they did that, they kept taking it down. It didn't work like they thought it did, and it had a power spike, and the core of the reactor was poisoned and deteriorated, and steam bomb explosion. Boom. Wow. Blew the whole thing out, and then caused nuclear fallout and debris for nine days. Insane. So, I just paraphrased everything I have here, but we'll... uh, (laughs) um, like I was saying, the reactor dropped to an unexpected level of power during the test, which caused instability in the core, and a chain reaction occurred, causing a massive steam explosion. It blew out the entire reactor number four. There was obviously three others there that were not harmed, but this one, huge crater. It was felt for miles away, just huge explosion. Luckily, it was contained like within the ground in a, a big, huge steel cover. Otherwise, it would have been like the Hiroshima bomb. Yeah. With a shockwave that sent, killed people from just the shockwave alone, but also the the nuclear fallout. So did they say why, if they tried three other tests that didn't work, why they went for the fourth? Yes, (laughs) they did. Understand this is 1986 Soviet Union, which is highly run by the KGB and a little bit of inside baseball, if you know what that term means. I don't, but I can... It's a little shady. Venture, I guess. It's a little shady. Yes. Communist country, all those things. You can do the math on that. But basically, they had the power plant signed off on as safe, but they needed to complete these tests. So somebody signed off on it, even though they didn't complete these tests. Got it. So they had this goal. They needed to complete the test in order to like make it right, you know? Okay. And they didn't. They Got it. Basically, the test they were trying to do was pretty much proven to be impossible. It would have never passed. 
based on their their practices, what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. The huge explosion was followed by a fire in the reactor core, which released an unprecedented amount of harmful radiation and nuclear fallout for the surrounding town of Pripyat, which is in Ukraine, mm-hmm. and even into other parts of the Soviet Union and Western Europe. Belarus was hit especially hard, which is 16 kilometers for our international friends. That's almost 10 miles away. Okay, wow. The fallout and the spread from the fire lasted for approximately nine days, like I said, before they contained the fire itself. Mm-hmm. Because of rising radiation levels in the um, from the gradual release of nucle- nu- <laughs> nuclear, there's, <laughs> there's twice, fallout, a 10-kilometer radius exclusion zone was created, which subsequently caused the evacuation of about 49,000 people, mostly from the town of Pripyat. And when they were told to evacuate, they were told this is... This is temporary. Let us get this under control. Let us contain it. And you'll be able to come back. 35 years later, you've seen the pictures that anyone can search these up online. It's still a complete ghost town. Yeah. And the paint's still peeling off the walls and stuff. It's still highly contaminated. It's dangerous to go in there. Yeah. These There's signs everywhere for these photographers and documentarians that go in there and say, enter at your own risk because the levels are still off the charts. 35 years later. Scary stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, as much as I'd love to see it, I wouldn't go there. It's not worth the risk. Yeah. So here's some facts that I learned from the documentary as well that are pretty scary. There's an area nearby that's known as the Bridge of Death, and they show this really haunting scene mm-hmm. in the show where there's the explosion, right? And naturally, everybody from the town, what was that? What's going on? They go and they see this magnificent glow, beautiful colors because of what's actually burning. All the nuclear fuel, the graphite from the core and all this other stuff created this beautiful flame in the sky. So they all go to this bridge and they're watching and there's kids playing and everyone's like, wow, look at the fire, whatever. And the way they did this was just amazing. But you just start seeing like dust particles coming in. And it's like that other um, movie outbreak where they're in the movie theater and you Mm -hmm. see the, the sneeze. You see these kids playing and breathing all this in. Well, at the end of the miniseries, they say that they tell you about this bridge of death. All those people died, even the kids, mm-hmm. of radiation, sickness, yeah. cancer. Not immediately, but some many years later from cancer and things like that. And they just had no idea. Yeah, Nobody knew in that town how dangerous all of this would have been because the government kind of played it off as it's no big deal. Right. Here's another fact for you. Russian military crews were sent to Pripyat following the evacuation to kill any animals they found. In order to prevent further contamination, so people's oh, pets that were left bring behind, it over, yeah, right, yeah, mm. yeah, and that's another scary thing that I didn't even know. Like people that responded, firefighters, whatever, were taken to the hospital. And there's one lady. This is all true. She was pregnant and she wanted to go see her husband, who was in the hospital. They were told she she couldn't touch them. Mm-hmm. She did touch them. She gave birth to her baby. The baby absorbed all of the radiation, and the baby died right after birth. Oh. She ended up living and had ha- has had another kid, even though she was told she wouldn't be able to bear children. But she's had multiple strokes, all kinds of health problems. And the baby she had with him, simply from being in the hospital and hugging and touching him, the baby absorbed all that radiation oh. from him. Yikes. So they had to go and kill all these pets, and they show it in the show, and it's oh. it's haunting. I mean, they just go oh. and kill them. I don't want to see that. And then they bury them. They, they round them all up yeah. and bury them in cement. Yeah, well, yeah, you got to keep it. 
Yeah, it's just insane. Yeah, that's crazy. And a lot of people weren't sure if that was accurate or not, but that was proven to be true. Mm-hmm. Another fact is hundreds of coal miners were taken from, from other mines um, and worked at the site to prevent further contamination by removing debris and kind of clearing a path so they could build a sarcophagus around the crater and the reactor to contain the radiation that was leaking. The reason they had to bring these miners in was obviously they know how to mine and move dirt quickly, but it was feared that it would pollute the water source for all of Europe. Oh my gosh. All of Western Europe. Wow. And so they had to act fast. The sad part is these hundreds of coal miners, most of them died before the age of 40. I can imagine. And in the show, they show them kind of like just going and telling them like, you're going to do this. And they say, do we have a choice? And they're like, nope. They held them at gunpoint and made them go. Oh, my gosh. They started to run out of men because they wanted to use robots to remove contaminated graphite, which if you just went near it, it would kill you within minutes because of how toxic the radiation was. They tried to use robots, but the radiation melted the circuits and they wouldn't work. So they had to use men who they basically used like a military draft for, brought them there, and they worked in 90-second shifts to mm-hmm. go out onto this roof, grab graphite, throw it into a pit, and then get back in and decontaminate. Wow. Just crazy. Because they kind of figured that out and did those 90-second shifts, a lot of those people lived. But the real scary part about this entire disaster is the Russian government still, to this day, only claims 31 deaths from the accident in their official reports. What? There were a couple operators that How is that, that were, possible? Well, I'll tell you, because they're crazy... Russians and they hide information just like China does. Communist country, they don't want anybody knowing that they basically caused this flaw in this disaster. Well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want anyone knowing either. So a couple people died in the explosion itself who were working in the in the operating rooms at, yeah. the, at the place. And then responders died. Like I said, they've only claimed 31. At the end of this show, and this, this number's a little differing depending on where you look wikipedia had something different articles had something different but at the end of this show they said that it's estimated that at least nine thousand deaths and up to potentially ninety three thousand. wow from this one disaster and the reason there's such a huge you know gap between those numbers is they'll never really know yeah even here in america cancers could have been caused from this this was the worst nuclear disaster in history yeah Pretty scary stuff. It is. So since all this happened back then, everything was pretty much cleaned up and contained by 1989. But as late as 2017, they had to build another containment to reinforce what they built and to keep things further contained from spreading into the soil and everything else. The full cleanup's not scheduled to be completely done and eradicated until 2065. Wow. Insane. That's crazy. Almost 100 years. Jeez. Yeah. And like I said, thyroid cancer rates went up. The year after this happened, cancer rates in that part of the Soviet Union skyrocketed because it just spread from everybody. I mean, it was kind of weird to see in that based on what we're living through now, the nurses and everybody had masks on. And it's like, what's that really going to do for you? Can you inhale radiation from a patient, right? Yeah. But everybody had masks on, protective gear. And for the most part, it didn't really do much of anything. There's even a story that one of the firefighters who died, his clothes are still in the basement of the hospital in Pripyat. Mm -hmm. And there's a 
video at the end of this thing where it shows someone going in with a dosimeter and it's still off the charts. The clothing, the radiation on the clothing wow. is just, would be toxic to the touch. Yeah. Insane. So I'm the conspiracy theory guy. So what would this show be if I didn't give you a couple conspiracies? I like it. <clears throat> of course, whenever there's a major disaster like this, the first conspiracy we go to is the government did it on purpose, right? Well, that's definitely one of them is that the government did it. For this event, they say that the Russians deliberately caused the accident to turn other European nations off from building their own plants so they could control the nuclear power kind of grid. So especially neighboring nations, okay. Germany, Poland, whatever, they didn't want them building their own because they wanted to kind of, I guess, lease nuclear power to them and control that. So they showed that it's too dangerous to build your own. So we blew up our own reactor. That's the theory. Okay. Kind of like 9-11's an inside seems, job. <laughs> yeah. Seems a bit uh, bit much. Yes. Seems like a stretch to me. And then this is my favorite one. I only put two because some of them were pretty outlandish. But this is my favorite one. The aliens helped clean up. Oh, that's nice. The radiation. And the reason why is there was an eyewitness named Mikhail Veritsky who claimed that he saw a fiery ball of light hovering for a few minutes above the exposed reactor on the night of the accident. The ball of light was also allegedly seen on 16th of September in 1989, so three years later, when there was a further radiation leak from the unit at Chernobyl. Some people have said that the aliens were containing the radiation for us. Oh. Your first thought when I said aliens was like, they came and they did it, right? To take over the, the earth. They blew sure. it up. But no, they were helping us. They came and contained the radiation because they can handle it and we can't. I like it. Okay. The biggest thing I learned from this, though, the government absolutely hid facts. Yeah, for from sure. From the people. There was not even an official announcement until a couple of days later that there was even an accident. So the people within the town were going to school, going to work, yeah. outside inhaling all the all of this stuff before they finally were convinced by a scientist to make this exclusion zone. And they were even hesitant to do that. They didn't want the world to see that they were weak and made a mistake. Yeah. Well, yeah. The U.S. could have helped them, but due to tensions with the U.S. during that time, they didn't even ask. But they definitely covered it up. They definitely hid a lot of things from the public. And three officials were actually sentenced to hard labor prison for 10 years. Okay. Well, at least somebody paid. Yeah. And one of them ended up dying because he was the guy who was calling the shot. So he was there on the scene. Yeah. Um, and he ended up dying of cancer. And one of the other guys went and worked for a different nuclear power plant. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Who would hire him? Crazy, Jeez. right? But the other three reactors kept working. They built this sarcophagus around it so it would protect the workers who still worked at the other reactors. Oh, I would not work there. I wouldn't either. I don't know if it's ever safe to do so. If they make a suit, I would like to go there and see the ghost town that was left behind. I'll just look at pictures. I'm it's good. a huge area. It's really scary. But yeah. I recommend everyone watch the show. I want you to watch it. It's really good. Okay. And that's my story. You're, you reminded me, um, I just talked to my students about the bombing in Hiroshima. Yes. And uh, there was similar issues with that as far as health goes. A lot of people suffered from cancers and yeah, really bad health problems because of that whole situation. But um, the kids watched a movie by a woman who was a survivor. Mm -hmm. And she had said that she was, she was a child at the time. And because of the war going on, children actually had to go and work. 
yeah. to help their yeah. families. And so she was in a civic building down in the city center and she said she was working and she suddenly looked outside and all these beautiful rainbow colored lights were all in, in the sky and everybody was like, yeah. this is gorgeous. And all of a sudden it was this insane explosion. Yeah. So that and just reminded me of that. And that's scary because a bomb does something else. I mean, it's the shockwave of the bomb, but that shockwave is nuclear energy and all that yeah. radiation, which will just, if, if the shock itself doesn't kill you, it'll melt your face off, literally. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, this one, the actual blast only killed two people. It was all the fire and fallout that took forever to put out. It was, it's really scary. I mean, I can't believe, I can't believe this happened in the 80s. I know. You know, you'd think they'd have a better handle on things if they're going to try to create nuclear power. Yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah, but check it out. It's on HBO Max. All right. Well, if you want any more information or pictures about these cases, please make sure to follow us on social media at How Did We Miss That? And I would like to give a shout out for our theme composition from AudioAnywhereProductions.com. Thank you, guys. Love that you're listeners. Please continue to listen, rate and review. And until next week, keep your head up and look out for each other. Bye.